0: Friends, in a world preoccupied with the importance of status and class and position, in a world obsessed with civil strife, national upheavals and international concern, how refreshing it is to open the book of Ruth, this wonderful book of Ruth, Although not ultimately unmindful of the national, even global significance of its characters, it homes in here on a certain man and his family and their fortunes. Isn't that refreshing? (laughs) This reminds us that the God of the nations... The creator of the heavens and the earth is also concerned about the ordinariness of a certain man. Hallelujah. And thus, therefore, he's concerned tonight, my friends, about you and about me. Isn't that mind-boggling? Ah, you think to yourself, how indeed, how indeed can the Almighty God be concerned about little old me here in Pontepreth? I tell you, as he was concerned about a certain man in the days of Ruth, so he is concerned about you and I tonight. My friends, God who knows when a sparrow falls to the ground... God, who notices a gift of of a cup of water to someone in need, is also concerned about our ordinariness tonight. That blesses my soul. If, if anything, my dear friends, I am conscious of my ordinariness. Aren't you? Oh, so plain. Oh, so ordinary. Oh, so boring. Don't shake your head so enthusiastically, will you? I know, I know what it is. I know what it is. But my God is concerned for me in my ordinariness, in my boring state. The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians of the past. Brothers, sisters, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. Think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lonely things of this world, and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one might boast in him. God's interest in the fortunes of a certain man in the days when the judges ruled should remind us that even our ordinariness. Is not insignificant to God. Why wow, that blesses me so. There's an old. I say an old chorus. I suppose it is now. By David Bilborough. An army of ordinary people. A kingdom where love is the key. A city of light to the nations. Heirs to the promise are we. <laughs> well don't be embarrassed. Don't, Please don't be offended. But I'm looking at a bunch of ordinary folk. But bless God you are. Because in your ordinariness, the almighty God is concerned for you. The context of the book of Ruth is a certain man. Hallelujah. My second thought concerns the famine. We have... The concern with the ordinary. The famine in the days when the judges ruled. There was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Moving house is not a task for the faint-hearted, is it? It is a costly and unsettling thing. Moving house means pulling up roots. It means leaving friends and neighbors behind. It means hunting for a new home. It means finding one's way in a new neighborhood. It means getting to know new people. For a family it is, and I know my friends, a tremendous upheaval. My wife and I, Deb's just this last week on Thursday, celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. How she's put up with me for 32 years or more, only the Lord knows. But there we have it. And during those 32 years, we have moved house 15 times. If anybody knows about moving house, my wife and I know about moving house. Fifteen times. Although Elimelech would not have had the same amount of domestic gadgetry, he probably didn't have the number of books that I've got to carry with him during his house move, it was not for him and his family any less a major decision, a major concern. And he decided to leave Bethlehem. Why would he do that? Why would he leave Bethlehem? For he and his family were from Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Judah was a large town about five miles south of present-day Jerusalem. Its name, as you probably know, means house of bread. And that wasn't by accident. It was house of bread because it was known for the fertility of the soil. And how blessed as a city it was with the provision of God, the house of bread. But oh, there was a famine in the house of bread. A famine in the house of bread. Oh my friends, is there not in these days a famine in the land? In these wonderful valleys in this South Wales region of ours. A region that has, in years gone by, days gone by, resounded with the praises of God during revival fire. A a valley, an area that that was full of chapels heaving with worshippers. Men and women, boys and girls, longing to worship God together. That was the story of of the tradition of these valleys, of this area. House of bread, we have known the spiritual provision, haven't we, in South Wales? And bless God for that heritage. But oh, there is a famine in the house of bread. A famine in the house of bread. A spiritual famine. And for Elimelech and the family here, it seems that perhaps, though we are not told, and so I might be speculating a little, it seems that he was overwhelmed by this famine. Maybe he saw it as a mark of God's displeasure. There's a thought. I wonder, is our spiritual famine a mark of God's displeasure? I think there's an element of truth in that, don't you? We have forsaken our first love. And what did God say of the the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, in Revelations chapters 2 and 3? You have forsaken your first love. And perhaps that's part of our story. We've turned our backs from God. And we've sought to practice our faith our way. We've embraced a culture that has little or nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And everything to do with chapel culture. Chapel. Church. This is how we do it now, Father. And the Father looks down from heaven and is grieved by His Holy Spirit. And maybe this this famine in the land is because... Of God's displeasure and Elimelech. He, 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 he perhaps doesn't quite know what to do and so he flees the house of bread. Actually, I find that quite sad. Don't you? When the going gets tough, the tough flee. No, no, no. That's not it, is it? I've got that wrong. When the going gets tough, the tough shoot off. No, 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 that's not, that's not it either. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that's what Elimech did. He got going. He, he got gone. He fled. Funnily enough, we don't read of other Bethlehemites fleeing, do we? Arguably, there may have been some. But clearly, many Bethlehemites stayed where they were. And in staying where they were, they fared, it seems, far better than Elimelech and his family. Because if Elimelech and his family were fleeing to save their lives, what happened? Their lives were lost. Their fleeing did not save them. Oh, my friends, sometimes when the going gets spiritually tough... When life in church isn 't perhaps as blessed as it once was, how easy it is to say oh, i 'm off i 'm going down the road to those other scallies down there or I, i'm i 'm I'm, I'm finished with church i'm i 'm finished with those christian lot i 'm off slinging me hook easy easy done isn 't it and, and and I know because from experience, I bump into them regularly, many people in this area. Who are, who are disenfranchised with the church. Oh, they, they claim to be Christian. I'm chapel. I'm church. Oh, where do you worship? Oh, I don't worship. Mm, don't want anything to do with those Christians anymore. Going got tough, you see. Off they went. An Elimelech. Now, I'm reading into it perhaps a little bit. But it seems to me that the going got tough. The famine gripped the house of bread. And he thought to himself, blow this for a game of soldiers. I'm off. I'm off. And off he went. How sad. I can't help but think, certainly as we get to know the story, I can't help but think he wasn't going with the blessing of Yahweh, his God. Do you think he wasn't going with Yahweh's blessing at all? Off he fled. interesting by way of an aside those who know my preaching know i like to go off on tangents forgive me in one of my former churches one of my lovely members said to me oh pastor i get more from your tangents than I do from the message <laughs> i thought about that for a while still thinking about it hey ho but on on a tangent if you read the book of Ruth, the writer, and we don't know who it is in point of fact. We can speculate. Scholars do. Little little point in doing so. The writer spends a lot of time naming names. Even those who are kind of, not even secondary, but but tertiary characters. Those on the fringes of the story. Those who are kind of superfluous to what's going on here. He names names. What's in a name, you say? As Shakespeare said, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. What's in a name? Ooh, lots, lots are in a name. Elimelech means, my God is king. The question remains, did Elimelech live up to his name? I think not. Are you living up to your name? You child of God, you brother or sister of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you son and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, redeemed by the precious blood, are you living up to your name? <sighs> Interesting thought. Naomi means pleasant, lovely, delightful. The poignant significance of this name comes into prom- prominence after Naomi's later return to Moab, from Moab, is not it? She goes back home and says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. Oh, my Christian brother or sister, is that how you feel? Oh, you were once pleasant. God touched you, God saved you, God redeemed you, God transformed you. You were a pleasant person to be around. But circumstances and situations in life, you feel better. What's in a name? Elimelech and his family were Ephrathites. They were probably from Bethlehem. This was part of of God's inheritance to the, the tribe of Ephraim. Leanne Morris suggests that they were probably of the aristocracy. Naomi says herself in chapter 1 verse 21. They went away full. They had a lot of wealth probably. But they left it all behind. Fleeing for their own lives. What did Jesus say my Christian friend? Those who want to save their lives in this life. Will lose it. Are you manipulating circumstances, situation in your life because you want to protect yourself? You want to protect what you've got, what you've earned. After all, you earned it. It's yours. Gotta protect it with, with everything that I have. I manipulate circumstances. My brother, my sister, be very careful. If you are numbered amongst those who want to save their lives, you might lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, says Jesus, they will save it. There's the 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 tangent. Notice my third point, the deaths. There were there were deaths. Oh I don't want to depress you with death. However, death is something we can't escape. What do they say? There are only two things in life you can't, you can't escape. Death and taxes. Hmm, some element of truth there, isn't there? Death is a part of life, I guess. Death is, one in one sense, the most natural event in life. But also, in another sense, it's the most unnatural. We read, Elimelech died. And both Mahlon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Talk about being bereaved and bereft. And arguably it wasn't her fault. She was probably only being obedient to her husband Elimelech in, in the first place. Poor girl. Poor girl. And she's left without her husband and two sons. My friends, death, While well, it's something that most people these days try to avoid, don't they? But they can't avoid it. All men are mortal. Man's time on earth is limited. Death inescapably reminds humankind of his frailty and of his limits. Along with all nature, death is part of the course of things. And yet... A persistent horror, even a revulsion to many of us. Death dominates man's thinking from the earliest times. I remember as a young, a young teenager being consumed with the idea of death. It, it, it shed fear into my inner being. The deaths of Naomi's husbands and sons. What significance, we may wonder, did the believer in Yahweh place on death in the Old Testament? Well, for the most part, death in the Old Testament is an ambiguous and shadowy state. On the one hand, the dead are sometimes seen as those who have been cut off from Yahweh's sphere of influence. The psalmist reflected, did he not, in Psalm 88 verse 5, I am set apart with the dead, he says like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Death for them is that shadowy underworld known as Sheol, the place of the dead, the place that is defiled, the place that is hideous, the place to avoid at all costs. On the other hand, there is also in the Old Testament a strong faith actually, that Yahweh is Lord and Lord of life. And no other sovereign can rule the realm of death except Yahweh Himself. So into this vacuum, faith in Yahweh stretches out feelers of hope. So much so the psalmist reflected also. This time in Psalm 49 verse 15. But God will redeem my life from the grave. Hallelujah. He will surely take me to himself. So we have this, this, I suppose, paradox in the Old Testament. How people perceived death. It's interesting because the paradox we understand today, isn't it? For some of us, death eternally separated from the love, from the power, from the influence of God. Why? Because of sin. For others who are in Christ Jesus, death, Well, where is you know, thy victory? O oh, 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 death, says the Apostle Paul. Where is thy sting? If we're in Christ, then we are born again of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. And death for us is just a doorway into fullness of life, abundant life, eternal life in the immediate presence of Almighty God. And so we have this paradox concerning death in in Naomi's day, and we have the same paradox today. The question that challenges my soul, the question that challenges each of us is, what's our perception of death? If you're in Christ, if you're a child of God, if you're born again of God's Holy Spirit, Not because of anything that you have done, but because of God's grace and God's mercy, then death need not worry us at all. In fact, physical death for us is simply a doorway entering into life eternal. Hallelujah. It perplexes me why so many Christian folk get so downhearted. When we think about death. I guess we naturally. Grieve and mourn. Those we have lost. But if those we have lost. Are in Christ. I put it to you. They would not swap. The position in Christ in heaven. With coming back down here. With us guys. Oh they love us. But they ain't going to come back. Because they're with Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What about our brothers and sisters, others, perhaps family members, neighbors who don't know Jesus? Well, shouldn't it make us more urgent in our task to win them? Shouldn't it? How lackadaisical the Christian church has become here in the Free West. How kind of come day, go day we have, have, have become with our mission. Jesus sends us out, go into all the world, make disciples. Oh, maybe, Lord, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. No, no, go into all the world. There's a sore famine in the land. Men and women are dying in sin, separated from God. Go into all the world. Well, hang on a minute. Let's get some theological perspective on that, Lord. Let's talk about it. No, says Jesus. Ah, We've become very lax. Well, well, we're okay, aren't we? We're okay. We're in in heaven. Hallelujah. And and we're having a good time here in church. But what about the lost? Men and women, boys and girls without Christ. My final point. There's a visitation from God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love the Scripture, don't you? Throughout the Scripture, even when circumstances are dire, even when hope seems a long, long, long way away, in the midst of all that despair and degradation, God comes. Throughout, his, throughout the Bible, throughout history, from Genesis through to Revelation, throughout the birth of the Christian church, God comes by His providential care. And we read there hallelujah that God came in verse 6 Naomi heard while she was in Moab interesting that she must have had news filtering through somehow interesting that isn't it she kept the lines of communication open somehow some way news filtered through Moab if you, if you, if you know it was on the, the eastern foothills. Uh, and, and not a particularly nice place by all accounts. And the, the Moabite people weren't particularly friendful people, it seems to me. They worshipped Kemesh, the god Kemesh. And as part of their worship, they would offer children by way of human sacrifice. Why would you, why would you leave the house of bread to go to a place like that? Why do so many Christians leave the presence of God and God's people to sojourn in the world? I don't get it, do you? But the lines of communication have been left open. (laughs) Isn't God good? If I were God... And, and, and Elimelech and his family had fled the house of bread. I would say, well, blow you lot. You don't do want my provision. Off you go. That, that, that's how I, how I would see it. I would say, blow you guys. If You don't want my, my love. You don't want my care, my keeping. Off you go. See how we get on yourselves. But not God. Hallelujah. The lines of communication were still open. Somehow, some way, God was still reaching out, wasn't He, to Naomi. There she was in exile, in Moab. Surrounded by the worship of Kemesh. Surrounded by the sacrifice of children. A desperate situation. She was mourning the loss of her husband, her sons. All heirs to her family had gone. Desperate situation. But God was still reaching out. That's my feeling here. He was still reaching out to Naomi. Word came to Naomi. Oh, my friend, if you're sojourning in the world, if you've left behind the house of bread, thinking it better the other side of the of the of the garden, you know what I mean. Grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? Is it? you left it behind. Then bless God tonight. He's brought you here. I don't know how. I don't care how. He's brought you here. And he's reaching out to you. He's reaching out to you. The word came to Naomi. And what was the word? Hallelujah. The Lord had come to the aid of his people. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Here they were in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And there was a famine in the land. But the, the Lord had come to the aid of His people. Brothers and sisters, let's lay hold of that for traveler in 2017. We've acknowledged there's a spiritual famine in the land. A sore famine, it says in the authorised version in 1 Kings chapter, 1 Kings 18 verse 1. A sore famine in the land. That's how it is. Here in Trachlan. The famine in Trachlan is severe. Severe as arguably it has ever been. But God came to the aid of his people. Brothers and sisters, we're talking here about revival. Do you see it? I, contextually, of course, it's referring to God providing bread. To feed the the, the, the people of Bethlehem. But, But for us, we're talking about spiritual revival. The Lord came to the aid of His people. And He provided bread. And brothers and sisters, we need no less than this from our God today. We need for God to come to the aid of his people. Ah, you say, we're quite self-sufficient. We've got it sorted. Our theology is poor, pure. Thank you very much. Ah, Are we so deluded? Are we so deluded that we can do it ourselves? Are we so deluded to think that we can bring a spiritual revival? Are we so deluded to think that by our achievements and our efforts, we can fill this place out once again? God have mercy if we are. God have mercy if we are. Oh, many churches and chapels in these areas have been so deluded for so long that eventually God gives up the ghost, so to speak, and writes Ichabod across the church. Have you seen those churches? Ichabod, have you seen them? Everywhere you go around here, just walk down here less than 50, 60 feet. What have you got? Echabod. A further 50, 60 feet from that. What have you got? Echabod. Everywhere you go. Why? Because the people of God, in commas, thought they knew how to do it, thought they knew how to get revival, thought they knew how to do church. Foolish. Foolish. Are we so deluded? To think that we can work it out ourselves? To think we can do it our way? To think that we don't don't need God's provision at all? If we are God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on us. We need the Lord. We need God in this area like we've never needed God before. We need God to come in revival fire like He's never come in revival fire before. There is a sore famine in the land. And men and women, boys and girls, are tonight going to a Christless eternity, eternally separated from a loving Heavenly Father. Why? Because of their sin, yes. But because of our lack. My friends, this generation of Christian, you and I are personally responsible for this generation of heathen. We'll give an account. And my generation of Christian, I believe we've made sir, so many errors. So many errors. Look at the generations that are missing from the church. It's my generation. God have mercy. God have mercy. But hallelujah. God is reaching out. Ah, indicative I'm sure of the last days. Indicative I'm sure of the reality of Christ's coming again soon. But has he not promised us in the last days that he will pour out his Holy Spirit? And all people, all people, hallelujah, even South Whalians, even Liverpoolians, hallelujah. They're not beyond redemption in Liverpool, you know. I tell you something, some great things are happening in Liverpool. Oh yeah. I hear from colleagues with whom I trained, who are seeing wonderful moves of God in Liverpool, hallelujah. That godless city. God is moving. Oh, my friends, we need God to move in South Wales, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And it's not by might nor power of man. It's by His Holy Spirit. Are we so foolish to think that we can do it our way? There's a, there's a song that will never be sung in heaven. I like it. I like it, but it will never be sung in heaven. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. No, my friends, it won't be sung in heaven. In heaven it will be, we did it His way. It's the only way. We did it His way. And if we're to see, my friends, God coming to the aid of His people, He will come when His people do it His way. His way. How's that, you say? How's His way? On our knees. The church advances on its knees. It's a colloquialism, but I like it. Oh yes, my friends. God is reaching out in these latter days. Hallelujah. God is extending grace in these latter days. Hallelujah. But my prayer is, Father, please don't pass by trash. Don't pass by Pontypreith. For here there's a sore spiritual famine in the land, and we need Jesus. We need revival fire. We need God to stir up young men and women whose hearts are after God, who are abandoned to the will or the purpose of God, who will go out and claim their own contemporary folk for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need. We don't want to be sitting back splitting hers over the minutiae of theology. That's not going to save souls. We don't want to be getting into our little corners debating which way of worship is is the best way of worship. Contemporary tradition or or a nice little eclectic mix. That's not going to save souls. We need God. Don't we? We need God. And we read here of a divine visitation. Naomi heard while she was there in Moab. She heard that God had come to the aid of his people. And what did she do? She went back home. Hallelujah. Oh, come home, my friends. Come home to Jesus. Perhaps we've become distracted. Perhaps we got bogged down in life. Perhaps we're despairing of circumstance and situation. Perhaps our physical bodies are are causing us to 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 get so uh, dis uh, distracted. And uh, Jesus is saying tonight, just come home. God has come to the aid of His people. Come home, you who are weary. Come home, you who are, are aching. A pain with every step. Your physical body failing, faltering. Come home. You whose mental and emotional state is bombarded with all manner of confusing, conflicting thoughts. Come home. Come home. Naomi (laughs) packed up and went home. Hallelujah.